and good morning everyone or good afternoon or good evening depending upon which side how can a globe have a side which side of this rotating globe you happen to be on on the other side of midnight which is where you have landed regardless of how you have come to us welcome 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 we have an extraordinary incredible show put together with a cast of thousands and we're going to kind of do a movie trip back in time with a whole bunch of dots that are in the process of being arranged even as we speak so you're going to want to be poised in front of preferably a big screen but if you're looking at this on a smartphone just go to the nav bar and that will uh, take you to where you need to go as I go through the program and show you how to get to the really cool stuff in Radio with Pictures. Because we're going to be talking tonight about a lot of pictures. We're going to be talking about Mars images. We're going to talk about historical space paintings and conspiracies from the 1950s to kick us off planet Earth. Uh, how's that working lately? And a whole bunch of other things, all woven together with, as I said, a cast of thousands. But before we dive into all that, let me start with a couple of things. If you go to, remember, your nav bar, go to the other side of midnight.com, click on the graphic, which is for tonight's show, which is that gorgeous ancient Martian temple painted by uh, Chesley Bonstell. Click on that. That will take you to the guest page for tonight. Scroll down under Richard's News Items. And there you will see three things, volcanoes, drones, and life in space. Click on that, all right? Because there's a whole bunch of news things that I wanted to talk about briefly, and you can read about it during the show or after the show or when you sign them back in as a member of Club 19.5. We are getting some really bizarre and extraordinary drone footage of increasingly uh, disquieting. I don't want to use the... the, the, uh, the Headline term that I'm looking in and the line that I'm reading, disquieting glimpses of the Hawaiian Kilauea volcano in its slow motion eruption. Remember, it's creating a lot of cracks in the ground and very, very viscous lava at seething temperatures, 2,500 degrees, something like that is coming up out of the ground and swallowing mailboxes and fords and houses. And there's a, uh, uh, an alternative, uh, uh, gas cracking plant, I think, which is also in the line of fire. And just the last few days, if you go to item number two, um, there is the real prospect that Kilauea is going to explode. I mean, really blow its top more than once and not figuratively. The lava magma in the throat of this volcano, which is on the flanks, distant flanks, 25, 30 miles away from uh, Mauna Loa, it looks like it's going to sink low enough to where seawater, remember Hawaii is an island surrounded by seawater, will leak in. And when that seawater touches that 2,500 degree, you know, lava, boom, major, huge steam explosions. And they're saying that those explosions could toss blocks the size of refrigerators or even cars more than a mile in the sky and obviously about a mile, you know, horizontally. So Hilo is far enough away, but that little village, Kalani Gardens and the other place, I mean, they're, they've evacuated now something like 2,000 people. Now, the reason that I'm interested in this, and that takes us to item number three in the news section, 
we're watching this from orbit. We're watching this from an array of spacecraft, which are looking down and mapping the temperature of the lava and the presence of green vegetation and what's going on around the volcano. This is all occurring within a whisker of 19.5 degrees. And if you've been following our work for a year or 10 years or whatever, you know that 19.5 is an amazingly important number in terms of geophysics. Because if you put a tetrahedron inside a planetary sphere, a rotating planet like the Earth, the tips will come up to and go down to, if it's a double tetrahedron, 19.5 north and 19.5 south. And in our research and in our exposition of it over the last couple of three decades, we now know that energy from the interior of planets upwells at those key latitudes, at points corresponding to the points of the inscribed tetrahedron. That's what's going on in Hawaii right now, boys and girls. That's what you're seeing, slow motion hyperdimensional physics in action. And so far, 2,000 people have had to evacuate. Something like 26, 27 homes have been destroyed, uh, 35, 36 total structures, and it's not stopping anytime soon because this is an indication, as I've said for many, many years, that this physics that we talk about in the solar system and in this planet, in this cycle, this part of the processional cycle, is going through the roof. And the energy is more available, and they heat stuff, and when that stuff is in the Earth, it's magma, and it wants to come out because the pressure rises, and you see what you're seeing in Hawaii. Unfortunately, guys, I can't say that it's going to be over anytime soon. We don't know how long this peak, this nodal point lasts. It could be a year, could be two years, could be 10 years. Don't know. Don't have enough data on the cycles and the, the breadth of the peak. So um, if you're living near a volcano, particularly if it's in Hawaii, my recommendation very strongly is it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And you should leave. And you should take all your pets with you. I mean, I've, I'm on the air here a couple of times in the last week or two. I've talked about people who have left their animals thinking they could get back. And they couldn't. And fortunately, the uh, authorities intervened and allowed them to get back in. And But you really need to take the entire family when you leave because you're not going to come back anytime soon. Again, based on the physics model. A couple of other news items where we get to our panels this morning. And uh, if you're listening, Will, I cannot connect with you on Skype. So I will keep trying. But your your light is not green. It is white. It means your computer is dark. It means it's lonely. It means you need to go there and turn it on. Okay, item number four. NASA just came out in the last day or two with an extraordinary addition to its planned big mega curiosity level Mars rover mission for 2020. They are adding, I mean, this is so cool. They are adding a helicopter, a little drone to this rover, which doesn't have a name yet. It's kind of like, the twin with augments of the current Curiosity rover, which we're going to talk about quite a bit tonight. Anyway, they're going to send this in 2020 and they're going to deploy it and then we'll operate it by, you know, AI, by remote control, by computer command from on board because you can't do the time lapse back and forth. You know, it's like that long distance phone call. You say hello and 20 minutes later, the Mars rover says, hello, what's up? So they're going to do this thing in a kind of a semi-autonomous mode. And it is so amazingly cool because it will have cameras. And this means 
that if you see something interesting in the distance on a photograph, you know, let's say, apropos of our conversation tonight, a building, a statue, a half-buried head, NASA willing, and the creek don't rise, mixing our metaphors madly, the controllers at JPL will be able to send a command to the helicopter and tell it to fly over to get a really, really, really close image of whatever is of interest without having to move the rover. Now, what's really amazing is when you consider the incredible thinness, is that a word? The thinness of the Martian atmosphere, which is equivalent, we're told, to the atmosphere at roughly 100,000 feet on Earth. Uh, Not much flies at 100,000 feet. So what I've kind of been able to glean from doing some back research on this story is that the blades, the counter-rotating blades, and there's a very nice conceptual drawing if you look at uh, uh, link number four in my section tonight. This conceptual drawing shows these two counter-rotating helicopter blades, and they're supposed to spin for, you know, stabilization. You know, spin one one way, action-reaction, the craft wants to turn the other way have another blade, you rotate that opposite, they balance out, and you get stable hovering flight, okay? They're going to have to spin in the current Martian atmosphere those helicopter blades at over 3,000 revolutions per minute. 3,000. I mean, this is going to be an astonishing mission, and of course, they're going to carry cameras. Now, speaking of cameras, the last two items, number five and number six, are from the uh, InSight launch press kit. Remember the InSight spacecraft that's going to Mars that left uh, last Saturday? Was it Yeah, Saturday morning, really, really early. Well, as I've said a few times, they represent as well the first deep space deployment of CubeSats, my favorite democratized space development of, of NASA, frankly. CubeSats are these little, you know, multiple, almost like Legos. You build them one, two, three, four, five. This, these two spacecraft are little briefcase size. They are about six CubeSats in depth and dimension or whatever. They gang them together like Legos. And they're containing all kinds of interesting electronic experiments to be conducted en route to Mars. They're following on kind of like a fleet. They're on both sides of the InSight spacecraft, and they'll all get to Mars together. The InSight spacecraft in in November of this year, November 26th, it's going to land a rover, a rover, a a lander, no roving on this one. And there's a picture of it in uh, the front of the press kit in item number six tonight. And they will drill and they will plant down instruments to listen. And this is going to be insight into the centers, the core, the physics of Mars. Now, as this spacecraft is landing, it's going to have the CubeSats up, up upstairs, about 2,100 miles out from Mars, I found out this afternoon, flying by. They're not going to go into orbit. They don't have engines. They don't have fuel. You know, they're just flying by. But the idea is to strategically place them in space so that as the InSight lander lands, they're in a position, two of them, to act as a test relay of the landing data and maybe even imagery. I'm not sure whether we're going to have imagery on the landing, but with the bandwidth, they could relay all that back in real time to Earth. First time they've ever done this. So this is an overwhelmingly interesting test of the technology of CubeSats because CubeSats are a democratized space program's dream. 
I mean, we've talked on the show about we're going to raise money here and we're going to launch our own CubeSat to do interesting things in the Earth-Moon system. Well, when you get away from the shielding magnetic field of the Earth, when you're exposed to interplanetary radiation from the galaxy and from the sun and from flares and all that, they don't really know what the radiation is going to do to the electronics because it's, you know, off-the-shelf electronics. Almost ra a Radio Shack kind of spacecraft. <clears throat> so what they're going to do is they're going to test the ability of these kind of off-the-shelf missions to survive in interplanetary space between Earth and Mars. So NASA is doing all this. Plus, as they're testing this system, and they're going to be in the position to relay the InSight lander's landing, entry into the atmosphere of Mars and then landing, they have two amazing color television cameras on each CubeSat, a wide-angle and a narrow high-resolution camera. The wide-angle camera is going to take about 138-degree field of view. The narrow-angle camera is slightly under 7 degrees from the distance that they're going to fly by Mars with these CubeSats. Mars, if you were sitting on one of the CubeSats, would extend over an angle of about twice a radian. It's half of the radius of Mars away. It's going to be twice as far. So it's going to be about 140 degrees wide in the sky. This is going to be incredibly spectacular, all done from two CubeSats testing the same technology I want to crowdsource and fund through the Enterprise mission and through the other side of midnight and send our own spacecraft out there to do interesting things, which we will save for another time. Now, coincidentally, as we're talking about what we're going to talk about tonight, which is life on Mars and the solar system and who was out there and who left what and how did Chesley Bonstell, the epic and epical space artist of the 1950s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and his colleagues, which we're going to talk about later, how did they know what we would find? Well, into that milieu, tomorrow, NASA, it turns out, this is item number seven, is going to make some major big announcement on Monday regarding the search for life connected to another one of my favorite places, the moon of Jupiter, the ocean moon of Jupiter, Europa. And when you read the story, when you click on this link and it takes you to the story, it, I'm, I'm kind of amused that the um, writer of the blog that announced this says over and over again, but they're not going to announce aliens. This has nothing to do with aliens. This is not definitely not about aliens. So what's the search for life for again if you're not looking for aliens? And of course, you can define any bacterium as an alien if it doesn't have our DNA, the terrestrial code of DNA. Anyway, all that is kind of like prelude to what we're going to talk about tonight because, I mean, have we got a show? Um, this kind of came up, the idea to do this show came up when Andrew Curry and I we're discussing um, a particular painting which was auctioned on Sotheby's a few days ago for an extraordinary, uh, outrageous, uh, ludicrous speed amount of money compared to what it was supposed to be uh, selling for. And that kind of pricked up our radars. And from there, we got more interesting ideas and more information and more research. And so tonight's show kind of evolved and the doorway through which we're going to enter this interesting landscape of yesteryear, 
of the 1950s, of the beginning of the space program in the public media in a place called Collier's Magazine. Where we're going to begin is with this remarkable painting by a guy I knew. I was incredibly fortunate to know Chesley Bonstell. And I'll talk about a bit how that happened. But it turns out that the Chesley Bonstell I thought I knew, I didn't know. There is much more to the Chesley story than we've known. You're on the other side of midnight. When we come back, back to the 1950s, the original 19.5, as we look at the origins and the real understandings of the space program. We shall return. Our cast of characters tonight start with Keith Laney, who's a space imaging processing and anomaly specialist from Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a husband, a father, a grandfather, an artist, a copper master, an amateur space scientist, an avid promoter and supporter of space exploration. The primary passion of Keith's life after about half of the above is space imaging. His work has been featured by NASA, by mainstream news organizations, and planetary anomaly lovers the world over. Keith hosts a privately unequaled online collection, a treasury of space imaging, planetary curiosities, his own writings and music, which just celebrated its 13th anniversary. It's called The Hidden Mission. Our next guest, Andrew Curry, began his artistic career as a community public artist, working with neighborhood groups to create murals in schools and community centers. As a graphic designer and illustrator, he serves small to large Canadian companies. And for the past decade, Andrew has worked as a storyboard artist and concept illustrator in film and television, also in commercial TV advertising. Andrew has a Bachelor's of Arts from the University of British Columbia, a diploma in graphic design and illustration, and a Master's in Art Therapy. Kinthea, speaking of well-known artists, is known in early Mars circles as Mama Mars, a San Francisco-based area artist and the artistic director of the Mars Project and the Mars Mission, and producer now, currently, among other things, she wears many hats, of the other side of midnight. Kinthea sculpted the first ever face on Mars, along with the cliff behind it, echoing the profile of the face features. This sculpture then appeared on the first edition of my Monuments of Mars, and later was corroborated by computer analysis by Mark J. Carlotto at the Analytic Sciences Corporation in Massachusetts. 
Then came the Cody Mars phase, which was unveiled at the Cody Conference, where she contributed to discussions with other anomalies researchers, including myself, John Anthony West, Gene Mayloff, Tom Van Flandern, and several others who are unfortunately no longer with us. When the Mars Global Surveyor took previously, I'm sorry, took a provocative new photo of the face on Mars, she set about to sculpt it once again, including the new data revealed in the NASA image. That sculpture, the Malta Bronze, was featured on a later edition of the Monuments of Mars, designed by Kinthea. Well, we could go on and on, but I want to save time for actually talking about some of this stuff. So, Kinthea, welcome to the party. Robert Harrison has been a keen investor, and that has allowed him the time to kind of devote to this love of his life. As a child of the space age, he has been fascinated by space exploration and speculations about ET life from a very early age. These speculations have continued to be of interest. When Dr. Sagan's early speculations were written down about the possible artificiality of the so-called Elysium pyramids on Mars, they had a long-term impact on Bob's thinking. In June 2000, Harrison began the Sidonia Quest website as a personal exploration of the evidence for an ancient ET set of ruins in our solar system, specifically on Mars. To date, the research has mostly concentrated on Mars and especially at Sidonia. He says it was inspired by the work of Richard C. Hoagland, so I'll have to take his word. But he has many collaborators in this field, and the Sidonia Quest has been intended to, to function as an additional resource to our own very popular Enterprise Mission website, TEM. It has also explored some of the more far-out theories that we have proposed, and that's one of the main reasons why Robert is here tonight. One of our team members is not here, so we'll skip over, and when I get him, we will introduce him separately. The next one is Tim Saunders, who is coming to us all the way from Turkey, almost on the other side of the world. Tim Saunders is a British national who grew up near the south coast of the United Kingdom. Positively influenced by the nearby yachting and shipping scene, Tim chose his ideal path, career path at an age of 10 when he decided to become a yacht designer. I mean, how many yacht designers do you know? I only know one. He followed in his father's footsteps in television production also for a few years, which soon led him full circle to become involved in a number of then cutting age and cutting edge documentaries about technology and water sports. One called Tomorrow's World, Horizon, and a series named Waterfront. Well, I could go on and on, but uh, let me get to our final panelist, if I can get hold of Will. I hope I can. Keith Morgan has been an electronics technician with ABC News in Washington, D.C. since 1982. He has a B.A. in communications from Howard University with a minor in computer science. And he worked for decades along with Ted Koppel. In fact, he was the guy who introduced me to Ted. And we've got to get Ted on the show. I want to talk about Ted's book on electromagnetic pulse. Keith has also supplied the show over the years with information from our research, which we used in various programs about Mars and Europa. Keith now know, now thinks he knows, we'll find out, why the face is on Mars and who is buried within. Based on research he's done into Sumerian writings over 6,000 years old. So let me um, kind of start tonight by rephrasing a question that came from uh, one of our, our um, uh, early, early attendees, because we have a section now at the bottom of the 
of the show page where we have questions and you can, you know, list questions or ask questions and we will try to answer it. And I'm going to try to answer this one on, on the air. This is from Rick who says, exactly how does Chesley Bonstell's painting confirm that ruins are on Mars, that they exist? Are there contemporary NASA ESA China images that match Bonstell's paintings? And then he says, thank you. And that is why we're going to talk for the next three hours about all of this with our panelists. Gentlemen and lady, welcome to the other side of midnight. Hi, Richard. Good morning, Andrew. Hi there. Thank you. Hi, Cynthia. be here. Morning, Richard. Ah, Robert, you're in from England. Good morning. And that's Tim. Tim. Hello. And Keith, very quietly. You know, Keith is always very quiet. And the other Keith, Keith Morgan, is also here. Okay, um, while you talk amongst yourselves, and I'm not going to leave you in the lurch here, I have to go and try to find Will. For some reason, I cannot find Will. His computer light in Skype says he is not on the computer. I hope he's okay. He had a major dental uh, situation uh, early in the week, and I hope he's not suffering from uh, some kind of after effect. Well, We'll try to get him in the next uh, few minutes. So let me open this conversation. Andrew, I'm going to pick on you. You were the one to report to me this most extraordinary story, this tale of this little 10-inch square painting that I was fortunate back in 1965 when I was a museum curator in Springfield. And I had the zany, crazy, stupid, ridiculous, and obviously could never happen idea that I would call up Chesley Bonstell, who was my icon of artists, space artists, and I would ask him if he would donate a few of his paintings for a temporary museum exhibit coincident with the Mariner 4 flyby of Mars in summer of 1965 in July. And wonder of wonder of wonders, for some weird, bizarre reason, Chesley, to a total unknown, an 18-year-old kid who wasn't dry behind the ears as the cliche goes, he said, yes. And put me in touch with his business people, and they all made it happen, and all these wonderful, incredible paintings arrived, and I took them out of the crates, and I unwrapped them carefully. I mean, this is like, like you know, treasures from the Sierra Madre or something. It was, it was an incredible moment to have actual, like, uh, maybe a dozen or two Bonstells to hang in the museum art area of this very extensive project we were doing when mankind for the first time flew a spacecraft past Mars. And I remember holding this little painting and thinking, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then just, you know, it was one of a, a dozen or so, as I said. And it was tiny. It was 10 inches square. So, I mean, who would really, it was part of a motif. It was part of a, a flow of the exhibit, part of Chesley's incredible artwork, painting where we had never been there to see yet, the surface of Mars. But it wasn't anything, as my grandmother would have said, to write home about until you happened past some kind of auction, I guess, on Sotheby's the other afternoon or evening, and you discovered something pretty amazing. Andrew, what was it? Yeah. Well, first of all, the reason why you were, well, in my opinion, you're able to get Chesley to give you paintings is because you're very convincing, Richard, even when you were probably 18. So that's not a surprise. And I think that you could get this stuff to the president if you really wanted to at some point as well, our material. But yeah, I was um, trying to find a really good um, version 
of this painting, which is exactly 10 and a half inches by 11 inches. It's an oil on artist boards. So it's really small. And we're going to be going over um, some of Chesley's paintings. And you have to understand, everybody, that he worked big. He was a, a matte painter um, in Hollywood. He was one of the biggest at the time. And he actually began that career when he was older. I mean, we'll, we'll go over that. I know, I think we have a break coming up in 60 seconds, Richard. But, we have a break, yes. But very quickly, so I found this image that was really clear of what's called this painting, Stone Architecture on Mars, demonstrating Mars's two-thirds less gravity than Earth's. And it was painted, I think, circa 1950s. And in the Sotheby's auction house, they were having a, a space memorabilia auction in late 2017, which is so interesting because... Anyway, let's hold it there. We are at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning, too numerous to mention, we're looking retro. We're going back to the 1950s, 19.5. On the other side of midnight, we shall return. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll have access to a private chat server that member used to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question that will be read on the air to the guest. And you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies. We realize that not everyone wants to call in live. And this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate. Club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows, ask questions, suggest new guests. And I may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions. Also, the entire bridge crew is in these participating chat channels so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward, and boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.
welcome back on the other side of midnight on this Saturday night, May 12th. We have a very large panel and a lot of interesting things to talk about. So, Andrew, please, please, please resume. The painting, which is on the other side of Midnight's homepage, you can find it under Chesley Bonstall, is um, it's called uh, Stone Architecture on Mars, demonstrating Mars is two thirds less gravity than Earth. And it was being auctioned off by Sotheby's in late 2017. And we know what 2017 was. It was the year of soft disclosure. So a lot of things were coming to the fore. Anyways, this little piece, artist on artist board, it was like a 10 and a half inch by 11 inch piece, was valued at about eight to $10,000 American. Well, it sold for $125,000. What? Yeah. Now, look, Collectors always are going to overvalue stuff because they're one of a kind kinds of things. But this was a very, very small painting. And that kind of alerted me. I'm like, whoa. And and the description for the painting was really interesting. It said um, it's just two astronauts marveling at um, – well, first of all, it said it's a fanciful painting by famous space artist known as the father of, of modern space art. His little fanciful painting of two astronauts marveling at ancient – um, an ancient temple site in the desert of Mars. And I, I thought, and so when I first saw that, because when I first looked at this, I looked at it and I went, those two astronauts look like they're agitated and they look like they're doing something. Richard, do you want me to go into what I think is going on here? Not yet, to, not yet. What I want to do okay. is I, I want you to pause because I want to go back and give people kind of an overview as to who Chesley Bonstell was. If you go back to our Radio with Pictures section, remember you click on the graphic on the homepage, that will take you to the, the guest page. Scroll down under the great uh, Chesley painting of this stark temple, this very thin column temple in the Martian gravity against a dawn sky with two astronauts standing under it. And you'll see items one, two, <clears throat> three, four, that kind of thing. This is a series of Collier's Magazine um, uh, publications issues that Collier's, which was one of the huge four-color <clears throat> glossy uh, magazines at the time. There was Saturday Evening Post, there was Life Magazine, there was Collier's, and there was, I don't know, a few others. I can't remember their names, but Collier's was right up there. It was founded in 1888. And the, the new editor at that time, a guy named, um, um, oh, I can't think of his name. It'll come to me. Um, Manning, uh, Gordon Manning, Gordon Manning, a name you're going to want to remember in a minute here. He got a bug up his bonnet to do a series spread through a couple, three years of issues devoted to space flight, space travel. And there wasn't television, really good television those days. There was film, of course, in theaters. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't the ability to send images around. There wasn't the ability to reach into homes via Facebook and grab people, you know, by the whatever. So the glossy magazines were kind of like the showcase of Americana in that era. And you could subscribe or you could pick them up on the newsstands. And so Gordon Manning, who was the editor, um, decided to convene a, a, a group of very interesting people. If you go down to... Image number four. These are some of the people that he gathered as part of a Collier's Magazine brain trust regarding space. And you can see them there gathered around this conference table. 
There was a, 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 a space genius named Rolf Kelp, uh, another one named Willie Lay, Dr. Heinz Haber, uh, at the far end of the table, Dr. Werner von Braun, a name I'm sure you've heard. Then next to him, a guy from Harvard, Dr. Fred Whipple, who created our modern comet model. And on the far right, looking kind of dour into the camera like he'd like to be anyplace, but at this conference table was Chesley Bonstell. And if you go to number five, there's a closer kind of uh, uh, fuzzier picture of, of Chesley, the, the Chesley I knew. Um, it turns out that Chesley's role in doing this, I mean, as the first and only illustrator of space, really, in mainstream Americana, he became this guy who, through whose eyes we saw all of these amazing things. And I remember going back to that little painting when I unwrapped it for the museum, holding it. And to me, it was so revered because it was a Chesley Bonstell original. In fact, I was drowning in the riches of all these Chesley Bonstell originals to be hung on the walls and have people come in and look at during our actual first exploration of Mars in the summer of 1965. So I didn't really have a chance to examine the detail of these paintings that I've known and the artists who I've known so well for so long and Andrew, it was you who opened my eyes, who kind of removed the scales. So why don't we shift back to you and tell us what you found? Okay. Am I un Yeah, am I muted? I thought I had muted. <laughs> You're <it>. unmuted, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, before we do that, Richard, I want to go to my items real quick, if you don't mind. Sure. Just to get a little bit of background on, on Chesley. So if we go to under Andrew Curry's items and go to number one and you click on that. And what I did is just a, a little little overview of what this man was all about. He basically began his career as an architectural renderer and designer. And he was the guy responsible in helping design the art deco facade of the Chrysler building in New York City, including the gargoyles and the famous eagles that are on that building. It's funny, but when I, Richard, when I look at this building from different angles, it literally looks like the spaceships that he painted hmm. as well. It's yeah, it's fascinating. Yep. And he went on actually to um, help in, envision the the um, Golden Gate Bridge in uh, San Francisco. He um, basically created, I think, well, there he was doing these really detailed renderings of how how the bridge would be put together. So this guy even though he was an architectural renderer and not directly an architect, he was amazing. He was a, like almost like an engineer and he actually helped the public see that this bridge could be built. So he, so that first question about how did Chesley know this? Um, he's a highly trained, he was a highly trained, you know, art, or, um, sorry, architectural renderer and designer. And he had all this background later in his career. Like I think he was around 50 that's when he became he became a matte painter in Hollywood, and everybody knows what a matte painting is. It's the old, um, basically, they would create these huge paintings, and they would just essentially film them, and they would become backdrops for, um, well, like in Star Wars, there was a lot of that. The original Star Wars film, a lot of those caverns looking down at the Death Star were, were these beautiful paintings. So Chesley had a lot of influence, and he had a very varied career, and he worked with all the big shots in Hollywood. In fact, when we come to um, The Martian, 
Ridley Scott's 2015 film, there is actually Bonstell painting hanging ah. in the office. Yeah, hanging in the office of the of the fictional NASA director Teddy Saunders, and you can see it in the in the in my um uh my piece there. And the painting was called Saturn is Seen from Titan. This was a painting from 1944. And what's interesting is that he, one of his fellow artists called this, um, what did he say? He said, this was the painting that launched a thousand careers. Because, <laughs> yeah, because it was, it was Chesley who would envision the solar system. In fact, guys like Robert Heinlein and Carl Sagan said that they were so moved by his paintings that that's partly why they chose their careers. And in fact, Carl Sagan said, quote, I didn't know what other worlds look like until I saw Bonstill's paintings of the solar system. And in fact, Richard, there's a, a new documentary, documentary film that just came out May 1st, and it premiered at the Newport Beach Film Festival in Newport Beach, California, this past May 1st. It's called Chesley Bonstill, A Brush with the Future. And I saw couple of the previews and they're really really beautiful so i just wanted to give that little bit of background on him he was basically a really important guy and he was in the center of a lot of things going on at that time but i'll take you now to my sort of breakdown that i think i'm seeing on this, this little painting that sotheby's auctioned off so if you go back to the other side of midnight homepage, come to my items and you go to number two and i call it um mm. stone Ar- stone architecture on mars a hunt down now, I know this may seem really out there, but I found a really excellent resolution. And you'll notice that there's a few different colors going on with this painting. I think Richard's kind of captured it a little closer to what the original was like. And in fact, he's the one that held it in his hands. What I'm noticing is with the Sotheby's images and some of the other images I found on the internet is that they're very grayed down and really highly pixelated. But this one I found showed these two astronauts doing something in the middle of this temple. Well, I kind of blew it up. And if you sort of scroll down, I don't think, and like Richard said, I don't, I don't know if these are exactly human astronauts. Now, again, this could be all fanciful. This could just be his creative vision, but this was a really serious guy. In fact, on the back of this small painting, he has written down because he was really angry at himself. He didn't make the bottom of the pillars the right size. He felt they should have been one and a half times thicker. So this is a very serious guy. And anyways, what I think I found in this is some sort of hunt down. I think that these two astronauts are actually potentially a different species. And I did a little drawing here or a little digital rendering if you look at it in my items. And I I wrote this description. I said, there are three figures in this composition, what I call two hunters and the hunted. The latter lies slumped between two pillars. It's head blown open by an energy weapon. Notice the almond-shaped eyes of the fallen being. So if you scroll down and look at my drawing, you can see what I think is lying between the two pillars. Now, I know, hey, I'm speculating like crazy, but Richard, this is a very, very strange painting. And I don't. there's a lot of layers going on here. And I just really feel when I first saw this painting, I had the feeling that these guys weren't just marveling at the temple, but they were agitated somehow and they seemed almost kind of aggressive at least in their in their body language and again i know out there we're thinking oh come on you're just talking about you know one man's fanciful painting well again all of the things that chesley did were so serious and i just don't know why he would take 
a moment to just create silliness, right? If and so is is he writing a history here? Is he letting us know something? Is it an is it an unconscious artistic flair? Uh, that's the question. Hmm. Well, again, my grandmother, you know, one swallow does not a summer make. <clears throat> but when you kind of and I kind of talked about this, I realized that you know one data point doesn't mean anything. So I started looking at an archive. I have a very good archive of high resolution versions of some of other of some of the other paintings that Bonstell has done available through his website and on the internet and Ray Miller's book and all that Ron Miller, I'm sorry. And I started looking at details and I found frankly Andrew some stuff in other paintings which goes along with this theory that Chesley knew something from such a deep source from such an extraordinary avenue of information before he or anybody else on earth, like the gang sitting around that table at Collier's, should have known. Uh, I mean, we now know that Von Braun buried 19.5s in his novel about exploring Mars. That I kind of expected. The idea that my old, old friend, Chesley Bonstell, who I idolized and who I met in the most bizarre way because I, I had um, was at the museum in Springfield and I was... Uh, sent down to New York to uh, basically just, you know, have a vacation. And I took a friend of mine with me and we had a high old time and I wound up at NBC. This is in 1966 on the evening of June 1st, 1966, literally hours before the first unmanned NASA mission to land on Mars with Surveyor 1 is supposed to take place. So we wander into NBC, and I wander up to Studio 8H. I was used to kind of coming and going in those days. And I'm noticing that um, someone on the other side of the room, a whole crew of technicians, are hanging the moon in preparation for NBC's special. And the special is supposed to involve this first landing on the moon by the United States. And I noticed the technicians were hanging the moon upside down. So I said something to someone. Next thing I know, the guy who was running the coverage for NBC that night, a guy named Dr. Storm Fields, really a, a meteorologist with the name Dr. Storm Fields, came up to me and said, uh, would you like to be a consultant for our show tonight? Apparently, you know more than our guys do. So that's how I wound up for an evening working for NBC News covering the first unmanned landing. Well, when I got back to the museum, because I was such a devotee of uh, Chesley Bonstell, I had an easel, I had paints, I actually did some paintings and all that, did this one for the museum. I took a Polaroid, and just on a whim, I sent it in the mail to an address I found through one of Chesley's books in California, Monterey, California. As they used to say, you could have tipped me over with a feather when I got a response back a written response from Chesley Bonstell critiquing the Polaroid of Meyer's Surveyor 1 historic lunar landing painting, which was by that time about to be hung in the museum. And I will never forget, he had a very flowering hand and he just wrote, promising. <laughs> which, of course, occasioned me, who was fearless in those days, to pick up the phone and try to call him. And I eventually did, and we eventually became friends. And every time I would fly into San Francisco, I would rent a car, and I would go to Marie Callender's, and I would pick up his favorite pie, which was apricot. He loved apricot pie. 
And I'd drive down to Monterey and we would spend an afternoon or an evening or whatever. And I actually connected him years later with uh, uh, Dr. Gerard O'Neill, who was involved in something called the space colony concept. And one of the high points of my life was to convince Chesley to do for Dr. O'Neill an original Bond Stell showing human colonists using an asteroid to help colonize the solar system. Anyway, the, the reason all this is important is because his artwork, Andrew, was meticulous in its solid scientific detail. Yes. I don't think he had a whimsical bone in his body. And again, this is someone who knew him. So for him to put all these stunning details, which are totally superfluous to the painting... I mean, the closer you look, the more you find, the more detail. And even though the scans are not perfect, what I find interesting is that this painting now, this one painting which we found so much provocative echoing of ancient civilizations on Mars with little appurtenances that if you weren't looking at these pictures as Keith Laney and Will and Andrew and Robert and Kinthea and I have been doing for months and months and months, sorry, Tim, I didn't mean to leave you out, or Keith, or Keith, You'd never notice. Yeah. And for a 10-inch painting, and again, it's a 10 and a half by 11, the only way you're going to see all this is if you literally hold it in your hands and you're looking at it like three inches from your eyes. Okay? So for the average public sitting on a wall in a museum, no one would ever notice before the era of scans and Photoshop and magnification and digital enlargement and all that. You wouldn't unless you were looking Notice the stunning details that appear to be consistent with our Mars work, our Mars research of the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, exemplified in this stunning painting where it should not have any business being. Yeah, agreed. So let's go through some other stuff because there's more than one shoe on the centipede. If you go to... Uh, the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's graphic, go scroll way down to my items, past all the Von Stell stuff now, the guy sitting there, the close up of him looking over a celestial globe. Look at number six, item number six. This is a classic painting. This was the depiction by Von Stell of Von Braun's epic, you know, first expedition, first manned human expedition to Mars landing in a wing shuttle-like vehicle, separating the one part of the vehicle from the other. That's the launch rocket that's going to take the astronauts home. There's a little green dome sitting in the middle of this desert beside this mesa looming over the horizon to the north. And that dome is where the astronauts live for the many months they used to uh, explore Mars. All right. But if you look over on the left and you click on number seven, one of the blocks that this crew of astronauts are are looking at, uh, it does not seem to be a natural rock. It appears to be a fashioned block, some kind of architecture, some kind of foundation zone, some kind of um, unearthed remnant of an ancient civilization. Then we've got another one which uh, was it in your section or mine where we were going to show the uh, um, comparison of what's up on those clips. I, I think we have to refresh our screens. I think we all have to refresh our screens. That's a good idea. 
And then we scroll down and it should be here. It should be here. It should be here. Um, okay. I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing, let me click on enterprise mission. No. Okay. Th th that's the Mars stuff that we're going to talk about in a few minutes with the entire panel. I don't see the one painting that I was looking for, which is if we go back one screen, let me get rid of this. We go back to my section and we look at that large panorama of the ship sitting in front of the buttes. Right. You found that those buttes up near the top of those so-called mountains, they're not mountain buttes at all. They appear no. to be actual structures of some kind, and we're not seeing the painting. So, Kinthea, somewhere in the archive I sent you, they were missing that section of, of, of art, the, the close-ups. I think there are three images in that panel that go together, all in one oh. email. So, in the meantime, we'll just talk about this. because, um, And then there's also some lunar stuff that I'm not seeing. Um, we sent so many images to Kinthea this afternoon. I am absolutely staggered that um, she was able to get most of it up in time for the show. And we'll just work through the rest of the uh, morning and we'll just load it as it loads and, and we'll refer to it then. Let me bring in uh, Mr. Laney. Um, you've been a devotee of Chesley. You've been obviously, you know, with your nose to the grindstone and looking at the actual data. Do you think that uh, Andrew and I are total wacko nuts, or are we onto something? Unmuting helps. No, did we lose Keith? Oh my God, we lost Keith. This is not a good morning. This is not a good morning at all. Let me go and pick him up again here, okay? And God, you look up at a screen and bingo. Someone who was there a moment ago has disappeared into the ethers. I think there's a connection to vaporware there somewhere. Um, and it's ringing, and it's ringing, and it's ringing. Okay. I guess I'm going to ask you, Bob, um, your thoughts. Bob Harrison in England this morning at the crack of dawn. It's what, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning over there, right? No, a bit later, coming up to 6. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So are, are Andrew and I just out to lunch, or are we on to something? We're talking about the buttes, are we? Mm-hmm. Well, it does look like some kind of monolithic uh, building, doesn't it? I think in one of the Star Wars films, there's a, a structure of rather similar to that. Um, might have been the first of the new relaunch. Near the beginning, there was a structure rather like that. Mm. That uh, angular uh, thing at the uh, highest on the, on it, and of course the uh, the strata in the sort of worn down hills, more in the forefront. Uh, there's a strata of tough rock, so looking that's a bit like ramparts uh, of ruins. Well, uh, the, the thing that's so interesting... Go ahead. There's a, there's, a, there's a strong sort of right angle look to that strata uh, just above the spaceship. 
sorry, sorry, Richard, carry on. No, I'm saying all of those outcroppings, and we'll we'll have we'll post in the next segment. We'll have Cynthia, you know, bring up those images because she's been posting, as I said, all afternoon to keep up with us. All those things look like, according to Andrew's uh, detailed examination, and then he produced some art to show you what he's seeing. They all look like sculpted buildings, like something out of Petra, which is this temple cut into the rock in Jordan. They look eerily like Petra. And again, if that's what we're looking at, and this, of course, was the premier centerpiece of the whole von Braun expedition to go to Mars. And he said several times in some many of his works that one of the things that he wanted to look for on Mars was when he... Uh, uh, when we finally got there, he was going to look for signs of intelligent life. Remember, this is Werner von Braun back in the mid-50s when the, the perception of Mars was a la, um, um, what was it, Percival Lowell, and the perception that uh, Mars might actually, uh, co-opting the words of Elton John, be the kind of place to raise your kids. So um, I'll tell you what, we are at the top of the hour. Uh, I want to take a pause here while we group our forces, while Cynthia works to uh, elucidate, elucidate, you know, on the website what, in fact, we have uh, going for us in the way of uh, um, real art, which seems to be speak of some kind of hidden, um, how should I say, hidden messaging in Chesley Bonstell's originals. And when we get the lunar stuff up, I have even further surprises. So until then, in the next couple of minutes, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. I want to talk to you in the audience around the planet tonight. I want to talk to you about the kind of meta objectives of the Enterprise mission and the other side of midnight, this radio show that you're listening to right now. As you know, we have sponsored a number of important research projects through this show over the last couple, three years. We've raised money for electrogravitics, for M-Drive research. Um, we're looking very hard now at this whole orgone accumulator technology, and I want to use the Accutron, this inertial sensor, which I developed following the lead of Bruce De Palma many, many decades ago, to put the Accutron in an orgone situation, in the accumulator or in an orgone blanket, these multi-layered uh, concoctions that somehow seem to 
trap or densify the ether. And yes, ether is real. There is a physics of the ether. And the problem is that it all costs money. It all costs funds. So we've added a new wrinkle to the Other Side of Midnight website. Over on the left-hand side, if you go to theothersideofmidnight.com and just look over on the left, you'll see under the uh, banners which say things like home, tonight show, there's a donate button. And there's also some donate buttons in the middle of the page if you uh, happen to get the right show. But mainly over on the left, it says donate now. Normally, I don't like asking folks for money. But money is energy. Money is the ability in this culture to do things, to accomplish things. There is a huge need and necessity for a game changer. We need to bring humanity back together to realize its commonality and not its differences. And that's in part what this show is trying to do with a variety of programs. And part of our research effort is trying to do with a variety of of, uh, projects there. So if you have some spare change, If you have more than spare change, go to that button. Go to the left-hand Donate Now button and click on it and send us what you can spare because communication in the 21st century costs. Everything costs, but communication more than anything costs because you have transmitters and internet connections and bright people and complexity of computers. Oh, my God, complexity of computers. It all ultimately has to be paid for somehow. And as you know, you can also join Club 19.5. That's an easy way to support the show because then you get archives, you get seminars, you get this thing we're going to be doing in the next few weeks on how to look at these images. And um, there are ways you can look that will give you insights to what you're seeing that will not be found uh, on NBC or CBS or ABC. So again, go to the left-hand side of tonight's show page or the guest page. Click on the donate button and send us what you can spare because, believe me, every dollar helps. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll have access to a private chat server that member used to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question They'll be read on the air to the guest. And you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies. We realize that not everyone wants to call in live. And this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate. Club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows, ask questions, suggest new guests. And I may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions. Also, the entire bridge crew is in these participating chat channels, 
so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>